what happens when we begin to realize that the 200-year experiment we've called the American healthcare system has failed. Tune in to Awakened Wellness with Milen Riobay, MD, and join the conversation about how to heal our broken system to reverse our current health crisis. The entire world is looking for answers, and the truth is hidden in plain sight. Learn how spirituality, ancient traditions, and cutting-edge science are merging to create a new paradigm of wellness every Wednesday at 12 a.m. and 12 p.m. Eastern Time with live video shows every first and third Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern Time when you can call in and ask the questions that matter most to you. Hello and welcome to Awaken Wellness Now. I'm your host, Dr. Milan Riobe. You're listening to us live here on Dream Vision 7 Radio. And today's topic is the hidden epidemic that is affecting Americans that everyone needs to know, especially entrepreneurs, right? Because again, as I always say, we are our business as entrepreneurs. Um, the business owner is usually the business, right? 99% of all corporations in America are small businesses. And so uh, we're, we're the anchor um, and the roots of our business. And when we go down, our businesses go down, right? And so, you know, on the tail end of the pandemic, um, you know, which of course is still, you know, brewing under the surface, um, there's another kind of epidemic, in my opinion, that we're missing. Um, that I think is making us susceptible to other things, right? And uh, for those of you that have listened to my podcast for a few years now, you probably already know where I'm going with this. Um, but we're going to talk about SIBO today, small intestine bacterial overgrowth. Um, it is, in my opinion, an epidemic. Um, and I think I'm not alone in the functional integrative world in saying so. Um, it is uh, finally being recognized after decades by our allopathic medical system. Um, but because our allopathic medical system is very dogmatic and not very fluid, um, it's really only recognized so far in academic institutions and is very slow to trickle down into the private community. Um, and the reason for that, there are many reasons. One is uh, medicine is usually very slow to change, uh, very, very dogmatic. Um, it's almost a belief system more than a scientific study uh, in many in many ways. Um, you know, when I go back and I think of the things that I was taught in residency as fact, uh, and then when I looked for the research to back up the fact, I couldn't find it. <laughs> and what I realized is the vast majority of what we learn in medical training is not based in research. Uh, and, and so when we want to change something, we demand the research. Um, and that's what makes medicine so slow to change, right? We always want the quote unquote evidence to change something but we never had the evidence to start it in the first place um, is what I learned because in the very beginning of medical training, it was an apprenticeship. You know, there were no medical textbooks at the very beginning. You know, these things came later. And then when people wrote the textbooks, yes, they had a body of scientific data that they cited at the back of the book. But the majority of what was written in the book was not 
you know, completely based in the studies that are in the back of the book, right? You had to fill in the blanks because we don't have studies for everything. And in fact, it's impossible to study everything, right? So, so some of it was just experiential, like this is what I see, this is what I observe, and therefore this becomes the standard, it becomes the dogma. And then when something comes along that disturbs the belief system, the dogma, um, we're very slow to change because it's a belief, right? And, and then we start to demand all this evidence. We need evidence that we need to change our dogma. That's harder to come by. You know, it's not as easy as people think to study things. It's, it's very challenging to study things. And so inevitably, it requires time, right? A small study comes out that disturbs the status quo, and then we shove it aside. And then another small study comes out that disturbs the status quo, and we shove it aside. And the next thing you know, we're shoving a bunch of things aside and we're like, wait, you know, that's kind of piling up. Let's look at that. And that's what's happening right now with SIBO. Um, so in, in the integrative functional world, we have known about SIBO for probably at least two decades. Um, and now it's finally being recognized. In fact, this is the first year that in the allopathic medical community, there's actually a diagnosis code for SIBO itself. We used to have to code it as some kind of unspecified enteritis um, because it wasn't it wasn't a, a legitimized diagnosis. So now it's actually legit. It's in the book you know, as a thing. Um, and so now we're scrambling to study this thing, right? Um, and so, the problem is while we're scrambling to study this thing, people have this thing, right? People have SIBO and they're not being diagnosed with it and then they're not being treated for it. Um, and uh, institutions like uh, Mount Sinai here in New York, uh, Cleveland Clinic in uh, Ohio, um, Johns Hopkins in Maryland um, are beginning to really study this very seriously and Cleveland Clinic released a study, I think it was two years ago, I'm pretty sure it was 2021 that I saw this study, linking it to multiple chronic diseases. Uh, so people with SIBO are at risk for multiple chronic diseases. And so at the time they had a list of five chronic diseases because that's all they had studied at the time, right? And now, so we're starting to see Oh, and also it's related to this, this uh, disease and this other disease here. At the time, it was diabetes, heart disease, strokes, um, kidney diseases. Um, and uh, now we're starting to see more links to other diseases. And in my opinion, every disease we look for, we'll find a link to SIBO. Um, and we'll discuss why that is, right? Why is SIBO the link of just about every disease we can think of? Um, it's because it's so central to body function, right? The area that's being infected, the small intestine, is so critical to all of body function. And so when you have the main system that goes down, every other system that relies on it goes down, right? So if your car engine blows up, it doesn't matter that you fix a flat tire, right? Your car is not going anywhere. Um, it's the same thing, right? It doesn't matter necessarily that you are, not that it doesn't matter, I, sh I should rephrase that, that's not a fair statement. Um, it does matter that you control your blood sugar when you have diabetes, but the problem is we understand now that the control of that blood sugar doesn't prevent the other problems that come from diabetes, right? So 
yes, diabetes is a broken blood sugar management problem, but at its heart is SIBO. At its heart is the vitamin and mineral deficiencies and the inflammation and eventually the damage to the body that occurs because of the underlying metabolic disturbance that SIBO itself causes. So we can begin to understand, oh, well, no wonder just managing my blood sugar isn't gonna prevent my nephropathy and my neuropathy and my vision issue um, because I'm not really actually treating the root of the problem. Uh, so chasing blood sugar and controlling it is not actually the root of diabetes. And so this is why we, we see that even though we're treating high blood pressure, even though we're treating diabetes in the standard allopathic model, we still end up with the problems, the heart attacks, the strokes, the uh, again, the, the nervous system problems, the kidney problems um, that those chronic diseases cause. And that's because we haven't yet really understood that it's actually SIBO and the vitamin and mineral deficiencies that SIBO is causing that is leading to those other diseases. And so this is why it's so, it, it's such, you know, like great news that we finally are recognizing this condition. Um, now, the uh, number of people affected is probably in the tens of millions. Um, we don't, have a distinct number. I have seen studies that have varied wildly. Yesterday, I was looking at a study where they noted that 20% of people have SIBO, but I have seen studies from, uh, I think it was Cleveland Clinic. I, I've seen so many studies, I don't remember who they're from anymore, but I'm pretty sure it was either Johns Hopkins or Cleveland Clinic that estimated that 70 to upwards of 90% of certain populations of people have SIBO especially if they have been referred to a gastroenterologist, especially in the presence of gastroenterological symptoms. And so what are the symptoms of SIBO? Like how, why should you suspect that you have SIBO? What types of symptoms would you have? Um, so nausea is one. Um, heartburn is another. Bloating is a big one, right? So um, SIBO is an infection of the small intestine by bacteria that don't belong in it. And those bacteria produce gases, right? So they eat your food when you eat your food because uh, they like food too. And so there are certain types of foods in particular, certain types of carbohydrates, which we'll discuss today that, that those bugs love to eat. It's like their favorite thing. So they'll eat it. Believe it or not, broccoli, cruciferous vegetables, you know, these bacteria love those foods. They will eat those foods too when you eat them. They will obviously digest them in the way that bacteria digest things. They will metabolize uh, that food, those carbs. The end result of having digested, so to speak, those carbs are gases. And so we get this bloating when we have SIBO. Um, and then that can trickle down, right? So the small intestine is right after the stomach in the, um, in the gastrointestinal system. So the stomach dumps out into the small intestine the small intestine is several feet long. Uh, so it goes on and on and on. It wraps pretty much around your entire abdomen. So pretty much the entire abdomen is filled with the small intestine, in addition to the other organs that, that belong there. And then it dumps into the large intestine, which is considerably shorter than the small intestine. And so when there's infection in the small intestine, it trickles down 
into the large intestine. So the toxins that are produced, the gases that are produced, obviously gases will rise. And so we may have belching, but also if the gas fills up, you know, a, a good um, portion of the intestine, it will also flow down. So we can have flatulence. And then we can also have constipation and diarrhea as a result of having SIBO. Um, the reason it's been so hard to diagnose is because we don't usually look at the small intestine. So when we go down with an endoscope, so if you were to be referred to a gastroenterologist due to nausea, bloating, diarrhea, um, and they did an endoscopy, in other words, they put a camera through the upper portion of the gastrointestinal system, they would go down the esophagus and then into the stomach. They might go a little bit into the small intestine, but they don't go very far because it's multiple feet long. You know, the, the equipment that we have is simply not long enough. Um, and the small intestine winds, it takes sharp turns, you know, and so we don't have equipment to go all the way into those, uh, you know, twists and turns with the camera and look. Uh, and so we don't see the small intestine from the top. We don't see the small intestine from the bottom. So when you have a colonoscopy, Again, the equipment doesn't go past the colon. So it goes all through the colon and then it doesn't really go into, like we might get to the, um, you know, ileocecal valve, which is the very terminal end of the colon, but we don't go all the way in to the small intestine for the same reasons. Um, and so we miss the majority of the gastro uh, gastrointestinal system. When we look with endoscopes, we miss the vast majority of it because the small intestine constitutes the vast majority of your gastrointestinal system. And uh, x-rays don't show it. We might see, you know, uh, gas on an x-ray. Um, we might see gas on a CAT scan, on an MRI, but we're not going to see signs of infection. And so this is part of the reason why, you know, as medical doctors, we didn't buy into small intestine bacterial, over bacterial overgrowth until later, I didn't buy in until I studied integrative medicine. Like we were taught that it was a sterile environment. It, it can't get infected. You know, the only way it could get infected is, is, is if it had, you know, trauma, if something pierced it. So if someone got stabbed in the abdomen and pierced the small intestine, now it can get infected, right? Or if we pierced it, you know, and mucking around in the surgical field, if we cut it with a pair of scissors or we nicked it with a scalpel, then it could get infected, right? If we didn't diagnose that and, and repair it right away. And so those were the only real two mechanisms that the small intestine could get infected based on what we learned in medical school and medical residency. And so I didn't buy in either until I started to study functional medicine. Um, and I was like, oh, well, that makes sense, right? They, it's all common sense, but the problem is the dogma and the belief systems of the allopathic medical model make it really hard for you to buy into the possibility of other things. There's almost a sense that what we learn is very static and it doesn't change and that's just how it is, right? Um, and so to change that model is, is challenging, right? So, so I get it. And, um, but unfortunately, tens of millions of people are being, you know, underdiagnosed right now. And so in order to diagnose it, because it's so hard to get to from anywhere and it's so hard to see, um, we the gold standard, the technical gold standard is to use very specialized equipment once we have a very high suspicion where we go in with equipment that can reach the small intestine and sample it, 
you know, and then grow, uh, grow bacteria on petri dishes and cultures and, and also do DNA analysis on uh, the bacteria, the, to detect the bacteria rather. That's extremely invasive. Um, it's, it's a pretty uh, big deal procedure, so to speak. It's very expensive. It's not covered by insurance. And so that is not the standard. Uh, the standard has become a breath test. Um, so because the bacteria usually produce gases, the most notable being a couple different types of hydrogen gases and methane, um, we can detect that in people's breath especially after they have uh, lactulose, which is a type of carbohydrate that, that stays in the small intestine longer uh, so that as the lactulose, which is a carb, a type of carb, is eaten by bacteria that are infecting the small intestine, they will eat it, they will metabolize it after it's digested, and then they will release these gases. A certain amount of that gas will inevitably end up in your breath. And so as you blow into tubes over a two or three hour period, um, the lab will be able to detect those gases. And that's how we understand uh, you know, the, that we make the diagnosis of SIBO, at least for now, right? We need much, much better testing. Um, it's a very rudimentary test. Um, it has a, you know, quite a few false negatives, false positives, you know, in other words, you may have SIBO, but the test comes back normal. Um, you may not have SIBO and the test comes back positive. Um, and so you have to really see a doctor that understands how that test works and doesn't work so that they can look at the overall clinical picture, right? If someone has raging nausea, bloating, it's been going on for a while, they have constipation or loose stools, and it, you know, otherwise would be diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome, for example. They've had a colonoscopy, nothing is found. They've had an endoscopy, nothing is found. Um, sometimes what they find is what they would then label gastritis, right? And so they'll say there's inflammation in your stomach. We don't know what it's from. Here, take an antacid, which is the probably the worst thing that you can uh, use to treat SIBO because it, A, it doesn't treat SIBO, and B, it makes it actually worse. Um, so in the, in the face of that kind of clinical picture, that person's got SIBO. Like it's almost impossible that they don't have SIBO. So if you get a normal test result, you have to really question that test and maybe do something else. You know, So there are urine metabolites that we can look for um, that tell us if someone has dysbiosis, which is a disturbance of the microbiome. Um, you know, and then we may see overgrowth of even the normal microbiome. Um, so our own defenses go up when we have SIBO, right? So our body is trying to defend, protect. And so what we see is even the normal bacteria that are supposed to be in our guts are overmobilized. So we'll see them overgrown. Um, and that's because they're trying to protect us. So they start to divide and multiply and they, you know, defend the fort. Um, so when, if you if you see that someone has dysbiosis and a lot of overgrowth of their normal bacteria, but you have a normal SIBO test, they have SIBO, right? Um, and so you would treat it. Um, and then we'll talk about treatment. Like we, uh, of course, there are two broad categories. You can either use antibiotics to treat SIBO or natural antimicrobials. We'll talk about that later in the podcast. Um, so SIBO is hard to diagnose. So that's one of one of the reasons. Second reason being, you know, the, the, the medical model that we have in place is just very slow to change, um, very, very slow to change. Um, 
And, you know, even uh, I've had SIBO. My son had SIBO when he was only nine, you know, and um, I'll tell you that story on the, on the uh, other side of this commercial break. And so you're listening to Awaken Wellness Now. We're talking about the hidden, uh, hidden epidemic that uh, entrepreneurs need to know. We'll be right back. What happens when we begin to realize that the 200-year experiment we've called the American healthcare system has failed? Learn how spirituality, ancient traditions, and cutting-edge science are merging to create a new paradigm of wellness on Awakened Wellness with Milen Riobe. That's M-Y-L-A-I-N-E-R-I-O-B-E-M-D. Tune in every Wednesday at 12 a.m. and 12 p.m. Eastern Time with live video shows every first and third Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Eastern when you can call in and ask Dr. Milen the questions that matter most most to you. Dr. Milen is the founder of Awakened Wellness Now, an online education community dedicated to helping exhausted entrepreneurs recover from burnout and live their best lives. She's also a practicing physician at the New York Center for Integrative Health in New York City. For more information, visit awakenedwellnessnow.com. Dream Vision 7 Radio Network invites you in for this dynamic forward-thinking show. Join Dr. Bernie Siegel on Mind Health Matters every Thursday and Friday, 12 a.m. and 12 p.m. Eastern Time on syndicated Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. Bernie will draw from his inspirational personal journey, offering us special nuggets of his sacred wisdom weaved through his delightful stories. Listen in as Bernie reminds us to be fully engaged in life. Ever wonder what it's like to have your own radio show? Well, wonder no longer, because you can dip into the radio airwaves by being host for the day on syndicated Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. It's a fabulous way to get your radio feet wet. It's an opportunity to market your business, modality, or book. Have a guest, mention a sponsor, and take callers. Or you may want to facilitate a lesson by going solo. It's up to you. Listeners can be online, mobile, in cars with Bluetooth, or listen through Amazon's Echo by asking Alexa, play Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. For more details, go to DreamVision7Radio.com and click on Host for the Day. Delight your kids with an enchanting journey by reading the Paper Doll Kids Children's Book by Deborah Beauvais and Janine Sullivan. There's even a catchy tune, Kids for Love Song, produced by Bob Sherwood and sung by kids just like yours. The story weaves around seven paper dolls flying around the world doing good deeds as they bring important attention to our endangered animal friends. There's even a magical ring with a universal message. Kids become interested in service projects, action through compassion, and planting seeds that nurture positive change. The Paper Doll Kids and Kids for Love Song are a production of the Kids for Love Project. Get the book now on Amazon Kindle and the song on CD Baby or iTunes. This is Dream Vision 7 Radio Network, uniting mankind with universal love. Our shows are created from the heart, bringing each listener to a place of divine enlightenment. Breathe, relax, and enjoy. Let life flow. Welcome back to Awakened Wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Milena Riobe, and today we are talking about the hidden epidemic that every entrepreneur should know. 
and every everybody. <laughs> you know, so SIBO is not isolated to the United States, it's worldwide, right? Uh, and I had a question here, can you spell out this condition? Yes, I'm sorry, I should have done that in the beginning, but it's S as in Sam, as in small, right? I for intestinal, uh, B for bacterial, and O for overgrowth, uh, SIBO. Um, is it catchy? No, it's not catchy. Um, is it associated with dirty food? It's associated with any food. <laughs> you know? Um, so in my opinion, I haven't seen this in a study yet, but I think it'll, it'll come eventually. Um, so you'll see, you know, what, what causes SIBO. They talk about, um, the, the gastrointestinal system not moving quickly enough. Um, antacids have been implicated, uh, in SIBO because of the way that they, uh, obstruct absorption of the food, um, and reduce the, um, acid in your stomach. So acid is really important because it kills bacteria, right? So it's part of the immune system um, to have acid in your stomach. And so um, part of the reason people have heartburn when they have SIBO is not because they're producing too much uh, hydrochloric acid in their stomach, but it's because the bacteria that are causing the SIBO also produce acid. They produce lactic acid though, not hydrochloric. So when you're using a proton pump inhibitor or an antacid, you are reducing your stomach's ability to make hydrochloric acid. And, and you're also neutralizing the lactic acid that the bacteria are producing. But what you're inducing instead is malabsorption. And then now you're not defending the gut because the one of the very first lines of defense is the acid in your stomach. Uh, and so those bacteria can then trickle down into the small intestine and cause infection. Um, so that's implicated. Probiotics are also being implicated, right? Um, we just don't understand what these little bugs do. Uh, they have, there are 3.4 million genes in our microbiome. In our own cells, we only have 25,000 genes, 42,000 if you count the ones that we, we don't think are functioning, right? So we don't have that many genes in our own bodies. It's the bacteria that colonize us that give us all this diversity and the ability to even be alive and use oxygen. Right? And so they're really important. And we don't know a thing about really what these bugs do and how they interact with each other. So we might know what each individual gene does. We don't know how those genes interact with each other. Like that's a complete unknown. And so when we're shoving bugs down someone, someone's uh, you know, throat, we are mixing those bugs with other bugs. We don't know how their genes are gonna collide with each other um, and what they're gonna end up doing, right? And so there is some suggestion now, some good solid evidence that probiotics actually promote SIBO. Um, there's some emerging evidence that the bacteria that, you know, are, can seed the gums and are in the teeth uh, can slip down into the stomach. Um, and, uh, you know, what else? Uh, valvular disorders. So there are certain, there are valves in the gastrointestinal system that prevent backflow of things, right? So uh, there's, there's some suggestion that if those valves are not functioning, the bacteria from the large intestine crawl up into the small intestine. In my opinion, it's going to come down to stress. Stress causes SIBO um, because all of those other things that they're potentially listing as causes of SIBO can come from stress, right? So the number one thing that stress does that leads to SIBO is it suppresses the immune system. 
Um, so acute stress, like when you first experience stress, your immune system's on high alert for about a minute or two. Then it actually gets suppressed. Uh, it goes to sleep. Uh, and that's when SIBO can take hold because everything, anything that grows out of the soil is going to have bacteria on it, right? Um, just naturally, an apple. You can't wash all those bacteria off your apple, right? So inevitably, you eat an apple, you're going to have you know some bacteria go down. What defends us is the acid in our stomachs, and then the the um, the multiple layers of immunity that are all along the gastrointestinal system are lines of defense. But under stress, they all go to sleep. They're not quite there, you know. Uh, not they don't completely go to sleep, you know, but they're not functioning at 100%. And so you eat an apple, a couple bugs might end up in your system that don't belong there. You have a salad, a couple more bugs might come in, right? And so over time, you have all these bugs colonizing and nothing is necessarily mobilizing an aggressive defense against them. And they just hang out and they multiply just like you know all of our other cells and all of our other bacteria. And then they end up producing an infection. Um, and so you know, in my opinion, that's what causes SIBO. Um, so for me, when I treat SIBO, I, I work a lot on stress management. Um, and we also help, you know, people with other things, right? Um, help to improve gut motility, help to, um, you know, boost immunity. All of those things are, are extremely important. Um, uh, question, probiotics could be the cause. Did I mishear you? Yeah, you didn't mishear me. Uh, yes, probiotics could be the cause. Um, and so what I do personally is I test people's microbiome before I recommend probiotics or prebiotics. So probiotics are the actual bugs. Prebiotic is kind of like the fertilizer to help the bugs that are already in your gut, the good ones, grow. Um, and so which you use depends on how many bugs you already have in your gut. So if you have a, a normal microbiome in terms of counts, so if we do a DNA analysis on your microbiome and you have normal counts of your good bugs, you should not take probiotics, right? Because you're going to increase those numbers artificially. So even though probiotics are natural, they're touted as healthy, um, that doesn't mean they're suitable for you, right? So if you don't have a deficiency of good bugs all across the board, you don't want to take probiotics. You can, however, take prebiotics. Now, you can still have like yogurt, kombucha, you know, things with a small number of good probiotics will not harm you. I'm talking about the capsules of probiotics, you know, that have like 20 billion up to 200 billion, uh, you know, bugs, those are the ones that we have to really be uh, cautious about. The only time that I personally prescribe probiotics is if I do a DNA analysis of the microbiome and it's completely flatlined. Like there are no normal counts of any of the families of bugs. That's the only time I, I prescribe probiotics to people. Um, even during antibiotic therapy, I'm very, very careful not to give, give people huge amounts of probiotics because those antibiotics aren't going to kill all of the good bacteria. They're going to kill some, not others. And so even if you have some that are low, but some that are normal and you use probiotics, we can see like, oh, like if, if, if I put a 200 billion bugs a day into my gut and 
some of those bugs that are already in my gut are not deficient, they're going to overgrow, right? And then of course, the ones that are deficient will grow, but now you're going to have a population of bugs that are overgrown causing problems, right? And so um, that's how I personally prescribe probiotics is only if a DNA analysis shows complete flatline across all the, all the phyla or the families, so to speak, of the good bugs. That's the only time I use probiotics um, because of the emerging data that it can be related to SIBO. Um, and so, you know, I've experienced SIBO, right? Um, it's not fun. Uh, it's it's very disturbing, like to not feel well all the time, right? So I went through a six month maybe before I finally like you know stopped being lazy and got got my myself tested, right? Um, nauseous fatigue that was really the big thing. I was just tired all the time. Uh, no matter what I did, I took my supplements, I did everything. I felt tired, and then just this weird kind of bloating. Um, and I knew it was SIBO, right? But you're busy, like you've got, you know, taking care of my kids, I'm running a business, I'm working out, I got things to do, right? Uh, so it took me about six months to test myself. And shockingly, I had 13 different vitamin deficiencies just in six months, right? I've been tested before, right? You know, I've been compared to, I don't know what, who they called me, I can't remember anymore, but they're like, how do you not have any vitamin deficiencies, right? I've always been pretty healthy. Um, and then suddenly, within a six-month time frame, I had 13 different vitamin deficiencies, right? Um, and so SIBO can act very quickly to knock you out. Um, and then the, the danger of SIBO is how central and critical it is. So those 13 vitamins and minerals that I was deficient in were running my metabolism. So, of course, I was tired. Um, of course, I had brain fog. <laughs> of course. Um, and if I hadn't treated my SIBO, that's when I could potentially end up with the high blood pressure, the cancer, this, the, heart, the heart disease, and all the things that spin off of SIBO due to the malabsorption it induces and the vitamin deficiencies that it induces. And so I went on a tear, of course, to treat it um, and uh, correct all the vitamin deficiencies, which I did, you know, but... Then I'm thinking like, wow, how many tens of millions of people don't know to do this, you know? And it really hit home when my son uh, started displaying these symptoms. And at first it was a little bit nebulous, you know, because he's very sensitive. He's a bit of an, well, he's not a bit of an empath. He is an empath. <laughs> um, so he, he's very sensitive. And so we didn't know, or I didn't know. Um, if it was the sensitivity creating the gastrointestinal symptoms or if there was actually something going on, right? Um, so kind of observed and it would come and it would go. Um, and then eventually it just was kind of more persistent, consistent. Um, and I decided, okay, I need to test him. Um, it's really hard to get a nine-year-old uh you know, boy to do a breath test, like it's really hard to do. And so I did the uh, urine metabolites test, which is not the gold standard, but I needed to know like, what do I do, you know, for my son, what's going on? Um, he had several vitamin deficiencies, right? And he had dysbiosis and SIBO and abnormal bacterial counts in his gut. Um, and so I shared this with his, with his dad, my ex-husband, um, and uh, the next the next challenge was how do we treat him? Because again, he's nine at this time, and you know there are horse pills at the time that were being used to treat SIBO. So how do I get him to swallow 
these bills, you know. Um, and so our our one of our nannies at the time, you know, um, both of our nannies were just phenomenal um, and treated our children like they were their own. And so she went on a tear to try and find smaller capsules and all these things. So she came up with um, a very small capsule uh, that he could probably tolerate. And she sent the information to me and I researched it and I said, yeah, this might work. Um, and so we treated him. Um, so I was in the middle of treating him and his um, his dad shared that he wanted him to go see a pediatric gastroenterologist, um, which was fine with me, um, you know, because you, you don't want to miss anything, especially you know, with anyone, but especially with your own kids, right? So I said, fine, let's take him to a pediatric gastroenterologist. This was five years ago. He's 14 now. So at the time, I already knew what the outcome was going to be, right? He was going to be prescribed an antacid and told, you know, go home and see what happens, right? Um, because I knew that nobody in my community was really uh, even believing in SIBO. You know, I, I we lived in a small town in Florida um, and it just wasn't going to happen that this pediatric gastroenterologist was going to corroborate my diagnosis. Right. Um, but I didn't want to miss anything. Right. You can have uh, celiac disease. You can have colitis. You know, there are other things. So I said, well, all right, let's take him. Uh, and so I walked into the uh, office and I told myself, I'm just going to be mom today. I'm not a doctor. I'm not an integrative doctor. I'm just mom. Um, and so walked in all these kids sitting there to see this pediatric gastroenterologist. Um, and then, you know, it was our turn. We went in um, and, you know, we, we helped our son to express his symptoms, what he was experiencing. And I said nothing. I didn't say who I was, what I did. I, I just kept quiet. Um, and sure enough, he's, of course, you know, he's very thorough, very nice, excellent bedside manner. Um, you know, you could you could tell he was an excellent pediatric gastroenterologist, just he had never heard of SIBO before. Um, and so he thoroughly examined our son. You know, he went through his medical history. He did took all the steps, had my son get up on the exam table, did a, a thorough abdominal exam on him. And he was like, OK, let's put him on an acid and see what happens. And then the integrative medical doctor came flying out of me. Um, I was like, oh, no, 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 that's not going to happen. You know, um, I was like, well, all right. So I'm a functional integrative doctor. I'm an OBGYN. I did this test and I think he has SIBO. Um, and he looked at me like, I heard of that in residency, but I don't know what that is. And I said, okay, you know, um, I'll take care of it, but he's not going on a proton pump inhibitor. No way. <laughs> you know? And so he was like, okay. <laughs> and that's how we left it. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I treated my son for about four weeks um, with, uh, you know, these, thank God, these little tiny capsules he could swallow and easily take. Otherwise it would have been a nightmare. Um, and he felt better. Uh, and then we repeated the test. He was fine. Um, and then now fast forward five years later, I think he's starting to experience it again because he's been experiencing a little bit of morning nausea. Um, so he can't fully eat his breakfast, um, because he starts to feel nauseous after. And so for me as an integrative medical doctor, I know, okay, that's the SIBO that's coming back and we're going to treat it again. So SIBO is extremely hard to A, diagnose, B, treat, and C, prevent from coming back, right? 
So you have to have this constant, uh, you know, vigilance over it. Um, even for me, you know, I, I just really like treat myself every now and again, just because. Um, and that is an emerging theory now that we should treat, once you treat SIBO for good and you have it go away, you should still treat it twice a year, whether you have it or don't have it, because it's so hard to catch uh, and to keep away. And so how do you treat SIBO, right? So we talked about how we diagnose it, um, you know, how do you treat it? But, you know, the, the end of the story, actually, before I even go further is, uh, you know, he was very, very good. Uh, he was like, okay, you know, I don't know about SIBO. So if you do, you know, let me know if you need my help. <laughs> I was like, okay, you know, and, and we left and I'm walking out of this waiting room, looking at all of these kids and there are studies that are projecting that up to nine out of 10 children that are referred to a gastroenterologist probably have SIBO. Looking at these kids as I'm walking out with my son and A, feeling blessed that I knew, knew what to do for him and B, like nine out of every 10 of these kids that I see has SIBO and they're not gonna get any help. Um, and the problem with that isn't so much the SIBO, it's eventually we will see that a lot of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder has its roots in SIBO. A lot of autism has its roots in SIBO. A lot of childhood cancers has have it, have their roots in SIBO. Um, and so the, the non-diagnosis of SIBO and the allowing of it to persist is going to result in several of the kids that I saw sitting there ending up with these chronic diseases if they didn't already have them, right? And, and then also even for adults, the same thing is true. You know, um, there are some studies suggesting that seven out of every 10 adults that get referred, <clears throat> excuse me, to a gastroenterologist have SIBO. Um, and so it's really important that this information get disseminated to the allopathic medical community um, and it's very important as a patient that you be your own advocate and you insist on finding a gastroenterologist who understands SIBO, believes in it, tests for it, and treats it. Um, now, where we diverge, right, where allopathic medicine diverges from uh, integrative medicine is in how SIBO is treated. Uh, and so the allopathic community and even the integrative community, we still use antibiotics at times. Um, so there are a couple different antibiotics that have emerged as uh, being the, the more effective um, strategies in terms of antibiotic treatment. One is called Zyfaxan or Rifaximin um, that has been shown to be very useful, about 60-ish percent effective for hydrogen-based SIBO. Um, and then the addition of neomycin, which is another antibiotic, if there's methane uh, also being produced by the SIBO organisms. So the combination of the rifaximin and the neomycin would be for treatment for methane dominant uh, SIBO, which includes methane and hydrogen, and then rifaximin if it's only hydrogen producing. Um, so rifaximin by itself is about 60%. Uh, and it's really important when you look at medical studies to understand like what was the end result that they called this 65% or 60% for? What was the result they were looking for? 
Um, the result they were looking for was a repeat SIBO test that was negative for SIBO. And that's important to know because don't make the assumption that because it's negative right after you took the antibiotics, it's going to stay that way, right? So we don't have any studies yet to show what's the long-term effectiveness. Do people get their SIBO right back? You know, what happens despite this antibiotic treatment? The neomycin and the rifaximin have a combined approximate 85% success rate for getting a normal negative um, SIBO breath test following the antibiotic treatment. And they, they tested immediately after the antibiotics were administered and completed. Um, they did the same thing for herbs. So there are a couple different herbal protocols in this particular study that, that were used. The, um, the herbs were actually a little bit more successful than the antibiotics for the rifaximin study. Um, so this particular study was just rifaximin. Um, sorry, that's my, my dog and my son coming home from school. He just had his midterms today. Um, so they studied rifaximin and compared rifaximin to different herbal um, uh, formulas. This was Johns Hopkins University. Um, rifaximin was slightly less effective than the herbals. Um, so they studied two different herbal protocols and they got an approximate 50% success rate with the herbs and a little under 50% success rate with just the rifaximin. Um, and again, that was to get the SIBO test to be negative at the repeat. Um, we don't know, we have no idea if how long-term those strategies are successful for. Like, did it keep the SIBO away for a year? Did it keep the SIBO away for five years? Like, what did it do? We don't know that part. Um, and so we do know though that SIBO recurs quite a bit. And so on the next side of this commercial break, we'll talk about how to prevent uh, SIBO recurrences. We'll also talk about the herbal uh, formulas that can be used to treat SIBO as well, and how to monitor for recurrences and uh, you know what, what's the best strategy to use to uh, help improve absorption in particular. So we'll, we'll wrap that up on the other side of this commercial break. You're listening to Awaken Wellness Now. I'm Dr. Riobe. We'll be right back. What happens when we begin to realize that the 200-year experiment we've called the American healthcare system has failed? Learn how spirituality, ancient traditions, and cutting-edge science are merging to create a new paradigm of wellness on Awakened Wellness with Milen Riobe. That's M-Y-L-A-I-N-E-R-I-O-B-E-M-D. Tune in every Wednesday at 12 a.m. and 12 p.m. Eastern Time with live video shows every first and third Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Eastern when you can call in and ask Dr. Milen the questions that matter most to you. Dr. Milen is the founder of Awakened Wellness Now, an online education community dedicated to helping exhausted entrepreneurs recover from burnout and live their best lives. She's also a practicing physician at the New York Center for Integrative Health in New York City. For more information, visit AwakenedWellnessNow.com. Dream Vision 7 Radio Network invites you in for this dynamic forward-thinking show. 
Edesia is a U.S. nonprofit dedicated to the dream of ending childhood malnutrition for millions of children around the world. Through the manufacture of Plumpy Nut and other nutrient-rich, peanut-based, ready-to-use foods, Edesia has already delivered life and hope to nearly one million children in over 26 developing countries. To find out how you can join Edesia's dream of ending childhood malnutrition, please visit ediciaglobal.org. What if dreams can diagnose your life? What if we can meet the love of our life in dreams? Join host Cat O'Keefe Cannabis, the number one internationally best-selling author of Dreams That Can Save Your Life, written with Duke University medical doctor Larry Burke. Dreaming Healing is where we'll explore dreams, research, and interpret dreams from you, the caller. Dreaming Healing shows can be heard every Tuesday at 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. Eastern with live shows on the first and third evenings at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific time on syndicated Dream Vision 7 radio network. Come live your dreams out loud with Kat. Are you searching for a way to help create global change? Dream Vision 7 radio network's vision is to have an eclectic group of radio hosts dedicated to educating, enlightening, and helping humankind with positive messages and tools that enhance lives using different modalities and programs. If you would like to join our team and help illuminate the universe, call Deborah at 508-226-1723 or Deborah at DreamVision7Radio.com. This is Dream Vision 7 Radio Network, uniting mankind with universal love. Our shows are created from the heart, bringing each listener to a place of divine enlightenment. Breathe, relax, and enjoy. Let life flow. Welcome back to Awakened Wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Milan Riobe, and today we are talking about the hidden epidemic every entrepreneur should know. And so uh, I had a question here. I'm beginning to think I could have this. Do you treat this at your office? Yeah, all day, every day. <laughs> In fact, it's probably the thing that I treat the most um, because it doesn't matter what else you have. If you don't treat the SIBO at the same time, you're not going to get anywhere. Um, and so, yes, we treat it uh, a ton. I can't even, I can't tell you how many patients that we have that have SIBO. Um, so, yes, uh, if you want to go to NYC for New York City, integrative.com, uh, that's our office website and you could uh, book a call, a book, I'm sorry, book an appointment online uh, or you can call the office. The number's also there. Um, in our uh, burnout assessment, we we help you to see like what, what dynamic metabolic type you are um, so that you can begin to also at the same time that you're having your SIBO treated, if it exists, correct the vitamin and mineral deficiencies the most efficiently. So um, you can also visit awakenedwellnessnow.com and do a burnout assessment. So you have a sense of how do you correct the vitamin and mineral deficiencies and rid yourself of the inflammation, et cetera, that the SIBO has caused. And so um, treatment, right? Uh, I tend to steer people away from antibiotics um, because it's recurrent. Uh, SIBO doesn't just, it's not a one and done thing. It, it, it might go away for even a few years, or it might go away for a week or two, or it might not go away at all. 
And so the antibiotics, again, they were only 50% effective as were the herbs. So there's no real treatment for SIBO that's 100% effective. And so the understanding there is we're going to have to repeat treatments. We're going to have to do different things to get it to be 100%, right? Um, and so that means if we are starting out with antibiotics, we're going to have to use multiple antibiotics. And that's not safe, ultimately. Um, you know, we're beginning to link antibiotics to cancer. We're understanding the damage that antibiotics uh, do to the microbiome. Um, and to the gut itself and systemically throughout the body. And so if it were a one and done, like if the antibiotics had 100% effectiveness and the thing would never come back, then yes, let's do antibiotics, right? But that's not the case. It's only 50% and the thing will come back. Like that's almost universal that SIBO recurs. Like we, we understand that very clearly now. And so the idea of using multiple rounds of antibiotics is going to introduce a whole other set of problems uh, so it's like we're digging the hole deeper to get out of the hole, you know, and and um, so I tend to steer people away mainly because of that. Um, the herbs are just as effective. So there, there isn't really a, a good reason to use the antibiotics, uh, except here's the reason. Right. So monetarily, if your insurance covers the, the antibiotics, you're not paying out of pocket for the treatment. Whereas if you're using herbal, um, you know, uh, prescriptions, that's not covered by insurance. It might be covered by a health savings account or a flex spending account, um, you know, where, where you're reimbursed for that expense through those accounts, but it's not covered by insurance, right? And so, you know, there, there's a monetary um, consideration there. Uh, aside from that, though, in my opinion, uh, the disease that you might get from multiple rounds of antibiotics down the road is going to spend the money you just saved. And, and so, for me, there really isn't a good reason to use an antibiotic uh, for treatment of SIBO. Um, so I tend to steer, I still give them the options because ultimately I'm not the decision maker. I give the recommendations and I let people see both sides and ultimately they are the decision makers, right? Um, of their own of their own health. And so I've had clients select the antibiotics and I've written those prescriptions for them um, with no bias. You know, uh, it's just for me, I can kind of see down the road we wouldn't want to repeat those antibiotics too often, right? But the herbal formulas tend to be a little more um, long-term effective, right? The other difference is we're starting to understand that the bacteria that create these infections build biofilms, right? Biofilms are little protective walls that they have around themselves. Antibiotics can't chisel their way through those walls, whereas herbs can. So the herbs will chisel their way through the biofilms that the bacteria are hiding under and then will kill them. Um, so what we're what's emerging is we can't just use the herbs for four weeks, that's not enough time. Like they would have barely chiseled through the biofilm and then you stop the herbs, right? That, that used to be, I think it was four or six weeks. Um, I can't remember exactly what the protocol in the study uh, was but it wasn't enough, right? So now we're understanding, okay, we might need to treat SIBO for three months if we're using herbs, um, because we need to give time for them to chisel through the biofilm and then to kill the bacteria. Um, and so uh, for me, I tend to use herbs. Um, the other thing that's emerging that's really important to know is because there's this idea, and it seems to be growing in momentum that 
SIBO can also come from the bacteria in our mouths. If we're taking capsules to treat SIBO, we're bypassing the mouth. We're not treating the mouth. And so now there is an emergence in very small studies that are suggesting you should be using liquids, liquid herbals or liquid antibiotics, which I don't think rifaximin is not made in liquid as far as I'm aware. Um, so we have to actually treat the mouth as well as the intestine. And so I tend to use liquid herbals and then liposomal herbals, which we hold under the tongue. That goes into the veins in the back of your tongue throughout your entire body. Um, you know, because SIBO can cause a leaky gut or, or, you know, bridge the integrity of the lining of the gut, those bacteria can seed into your body. Um, and so the idea based on very small studies, but it makes sense, is we need to chase after those bugs that went through your gut into your body as well. Otherwise, you're putting this constant burden on the immune system and you're wearing it out, right? Um, and so uh, that's the quick and dirty of how I treat SIBO. Um, and I'm not alone, uh, other practitioners do the same, but there are just not enough studies yet to really understand it um, and how to treat it. Um, but for me, that's all the more reason why we have to use natural things. As long as those natural things are equally effective, why not use them, right? Um, and the long-term implications of that are that the natural antimicrobials don't kill off the good bacteria. Uh, so they, they are preserved. Uh, and so they are there to help you, right? They are part of the immune system. That's why they overgrow when they're SIBO too, is they're trying to defend you. They're part of your immune system. So when you take an antibiotic, you're wiping them out to a significant extent. So you're wiping out your immune system. And what that does is that just leaves you more open to other infections. So maybe a recurrence of the SIBO, but also upper respiratory infections and other things, or even potentially autoimmune disorders, right? and all kinds of other things. And so for me, uh, natural is best, especially when we have decent studies to show that they're about similar. Um, and so what we end up doing is zigzagging through different natural antimicrobial protocols until we have a normal SIBO test. Then we scramble to uh, do a leaky gut protocol. We try and seal the gut back up um, and then we boost immunity, correct all the vitamin deficiencies and that long-term helps to boost your immune system so you don't get as many recurrences. Um, ginger is also helpful to improve gut motility um, and that helps to prevent the recurrence of SIBO um, and stress management is huge for preventing recurrences. So we could talk about SIBO until the end of time, but we're out of time. And so thank you so much for listening. I hope this was helpful to you. Uh, so you're listening to Awakened Wellness Now. If you want to know more about our online courses, please visit awakenedwellnessnow.com. You've been listening to Dream Vision 7 Radio. And until next time, many, many blessings. Thank you. Join us next time on Awakened Wellness with Milen Riobe, MD, to learn how spirituality, ancient traditions, and cutting-edge science are merging to create a new paradigm of wellness. Awakened Wellness airs every Wednesday at 12 a.m. and 12 p.m. Eastern Time with live video shows every first and third Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern of each month. 
Meanwhile, you can join our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Dr. Me Lin and let us know what you'd like to discuss on future episodes. Dr. Me Lin is the founder of Awakened Wellness Now, an online education community dedicated to helping exhausted entrepreneurs recover from burnout and live their best lives. She's also a practicing physician at the New York Center for Integrative Health in New York City. For more information, visit AwakenedWellnessNow.com. This show is part of the Dream Vision 7 Radio Network.